0: Crossing, family, I just got to tell you, I am in a present state of just gratitude. I am just incredibly grateful for things that kind of just seem to be going really stinking well in a lot of different places. I mean, here's just one of them. This is low-hanging fruit. Um, I'm on the last hole on my belt. I put this bad boy on, and uh, I'm going to have to make a hole if uh, I get any smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want you guys to know I haven't done anything. Uh, to, to warrant that kind of favor from the Lord. He just, he has mercy on those he has mercy on, okay? Uh, second thing, uh, dear friends of mine are getting an opportunity to baptize uh, their daughter today and I'm, excel- I'm celebrating that, that's gonna be happening. I got a text message from a girl who's a part of our church who I went to high school with and her son is gonna get baptized today and I get to coach his baseball team. It's gonna be a great day. Uh, Here's another one, Uh, me and my wife are matching today and uh, the reason why this is so special is you fall into one of two categories. You're the people who you love matching and the people who hate it and when we go to like Disney World there's the couples that have all the matching Disney shirts like I'm with Mickey, I'm with Minnie and my wife hates that like she's a vomit city with people who match And you guys also know she picks out my clothes, which means she picked out my clothes and then she totally forgot what she had picked out for me and then she basically put on the exact same thing and when she came into church, I said we match and she almost went home. She almost didn't make it to first service. And so I had a few hundred people take pictures so we all have a record of it. If you are joining from all of our different locations, online, inside, I am so glad that you are with us and I believe, that what we're gonna talk about today could have lasting impact. And so I'm so thankful that you took time out of your schedules to participate in what God is doing here at The Crossing. Today, I wanna kinda recap this sermon series that we've been in called Better, How to Win at Home. We believe that everyone wants to win at home because home is where we experience some of our greatest joys, And it's also where we can experience some of our deepest pain. If I were to ask you what is one of your favorite memories, I'm guessing it involves people that are from your home. And if I were to tell you, uh, if you were to tell me some of your deepest pain, I'm guessing it has something to do with people that at one point in time lived under the same roof as you. And that if we can figure out a way to allow God into that part of our lives, something significant, something good could happen. And we began uh, this whole sermon series talking about a core belief that here at the Crossing we have, but basically all Christians share, and that is God can redeem and restore anything and everything, and that includes you and your family. And we talked about Kintsugi, and that the broken pieces of our lives uh, can be put back together, that our cracks are not hidden, but they are redeemed with golden significance, And then we talked about in order to give your life and your family and your kids the best chance of success, you're going to need a strong foundation. And there are a lot of things that you can build your life around. But when the storms come, you're going to need something that you can depend on. You're going to need something that's sturdy. You're going to need something that's immovable. And here at the crossing, we believe that that foundation is Jesus Christ and there is nothing better to build your life around. And then we discussed how we were wired around our emotions and how we are wired around our gender, and that that's true for you and your friends and your kids. And we had some of you take uh, tests to figure out your love languages. And then we talked about God's design for us is to do life in circles, and that each of us have an opportunity to put people into the boardroom of our lives, and we need to be careful who we allow into the boardroom of our lives. And we also talked about how each of us have an opportunity to be a board member in the lives of our kids. And how we behave and handle our board seat will determine our influence over the long haul. And then we talked about one of the most valuable tools that God gives us in the raising and the development of our kids is time. And we also recognize that technology may be robbing us of the very thing we need to make the biggest difference. Because technology steals our time. And then Jerry and Andre talked about synaptic pruning and how the decisions that we are making today are creating pathways for our children's future. I've told you guys this a bunch about the prayer that I do with my boys on the way to school. And for those of you who are brand new to The Crossing, maybe haven't heard it, let me give you a little pro tip. When I'm driving my boys to school, every single day I reach behind into the back seat. We hold hands for a little bit. And I just pray a very simple prayer. God, help my boys to have uh, to grow up to love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and help them to embrace the Great Commission and make disciples of all nations and help them to find a wife who will love you and love them well. Like that's the prayer on the way to school. And it was during that sermon that Jerry and Andre were preaching about um, synoptic pruning and the pathways that get created when we're young that I remembered that my dad used to pray with me all the time on the way to school. I, I didn't realize that God had, or my dad, through God's help, had created a pathway that was benefiting my kids. And I started to go, okay, what other pathways and what pathways can I create for my kids? Then Jerry and John talked about balance. Well today, what I wanna do is I wanna wrap up this entire sermon series, and I've called uh, this sermon Generational Impact. Um, as I was getting ready to write this sermon, I uh, I was looking at some statistics, and I came across this one, and I was devastated. And no doubt about it, when you guys hear it, uh, you're probably going to feel the same way. The research is in: nearly three out of every five young Christians, 59%, are going to disconnect permanently or for an extended period of time from their faith and the church after age 15. Grandparents, over half of your grandkids are gonna walk away from the faith. Parents, over half of your kids. If you're listening to my voice at one of our different locations and you are over the age of 15, you're in junior high, high school, in that area, over half. Of the people that you sit next to at church, are going to walk away from God. You hear a statistic like that, and it it hits heavy. I mean, I've got two kids. I'm like, we should have just had one. Like, what do we, what do we, like, who, who, we, how do you handle this? And what I want to do is, I want to propose we got three options as a church of how we respond to a statistic like that. We have three choices. The first one is we can throw in the towel. We can just stop. We can quit. We can go, hey, uh, you know, we get it. Some people accept Jesus and some people don't. Some people follow Jesus for a while and then some people quit. I mean, it's Paul who wrote, who cut in on you? You are running such a good race. Maybe we should just acknowledge that some people run for Jesus for a while and then eventually, They just get sidetracked. After all, Clayton, wasn't it Jesus who said, wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life? Why are you trying to fight against it? We can say we tried, we had a good run, and we can just send all of our zero to 18 money to missionaries and repurpose our zero to 18 staff and help them all hang out with adults. We could do that, because 59%, it's not that good. That's option one. Option two is we can just keep doing what we're doing. No need to change anything, no need to adjust, uh, no need to get uncomfortable. It was a good sermon series. We had a good time uh, working through this. It was nice while it lasted, but let's just keep things the same. Keep 0 to 18 the same, which means less change, less hardship, less pain, less sacrifice. We just came out of a pandemic. We came out of a contentious election. Like, we just need to heal right now. The last thing we need to do is try to take a whole bunch of new ground. Let's just all collectively get our breath back. I mean, after all, we've got a pretty good uh, system and rhythm here at the church, and we've been getting pretty good at what we do. We could do that one. And I... I think that there's probably quite a few of you who are going, option three, better be better than options one and two. That you're a little bit like me. That you're going, after all the goodness of God that's been poured out on my life, after all the sacrifice that Jesus has done on my behalf, in light of everything that I know about having an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I can't stand option one and I refuse option two, so whatever option three is I'm in, I don't even need to hear it because you're going, I can't look at Jesus. I can't look at a bloodstained cross and go, yeah, I'm just gonna phone it in. I'm just gonna quit. He deserves something more and the people I love deserves something more. And so here's what I would say is option three. We could pivot as a church towards generational impact. Where we could decide that we are gonna be a place that has generational impact and expects a generational return. But in order to have generational impact, we can't just say it, we actually are gonna have to do at least three things if we're gonna be that kind of church. The kind of church that attacks a 59% statistic. A church that says, not here, not while we're around. There are three things that I believe, at the bare minimum, that we're gonna need to have generational impact. The first one is consistency. If you've been in this sermon series, you've done a bunch of challenges. Uh, You've been, you went on the date night thing, you read your Bible challenge, you took the love language test, you did the technology thing, you did an awful lot of stuff last night. I was at a Texas Roadhouse, and while I was eating, a, a, a guy kind of like pops up over the side. He's like, hey, Clayton, I'm on my crossing date night. And I'm like, awesome, man. And I'm like, what question are you on? He goes, four. I'm like, you got a tough road ahead, okay? <laughs> like, eat the steak now, okay? <laughs> like, you, I'm going, yeah, that's awesome, but hear me. If you did all those things, you saw the benefits. However, If we want to be a church that has generational impact, then this sermon series cannot be a mountaintop experience. The disciplines we learn during this sermon series have to become our new normal. We continually get invested in God's word. We continually spend time uh, dating our spouse. We spend time choosing our kids over our devices. You have to make that part of who you are. Consistency. I was talking to Randy Drish, our campus pastor from Hannibal, about this, and he said, uh, "Talk about Noah's Ark. Uh, how many of you at all of our locations you've heard of Noah's Ark? Just want to make sure I got a home crowd. Okay I'm thinking about taking a huge crew of you to actually go see a replica uh, at some point, so pay attention to your email. But um, God came to Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build an ark, which is a big boat. Like how big? super big. It was, or it was 1.5 football fields long, 50 feet high. Like, you can't assemble IKEA furniture, and he's building that, okay? Now, uh, it was supposed to be, uh, yeah, 1.5 football fields long, 50 feet high. It was supposed to be made of gopher wood, and it was supposed to be lined with pitch. And it took him between 55 and 75 years to build. And I haven't done anything that long in my life, okay? I haven't even breathed that long. And here is... uh, Noah, it took him between 20,000 days and 27,000 days. Everybody say 20,000. 20,000 days of cutting down gopher trees. Say 20,000. 20,000 days of turning those trees into boards. Give it to me one more time. Days of hammering them into place. Give me it one more time. Days of lining it with pitch. It took consistency to save his family. And it's gonna take consistency to save yours. It's gonna take consistency if you wanna have generational impact. Consistency in prayer, consistency in spending time in your word, consistency in dating and loving your spouse, consistency in neglecting your phone and engaging with your kids. But when the storm came, Noah and his family were ready. And when the storm comes, you'll be ready To 40 days of protection were purchased with 20,000 days of consistency. Galatians chapter six, verse nine says this. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is like every pastor's life verse. Because you are just pouring out, hoping and praying that one day it'll pan out. Listen to me. Do not become weary in doing good. Some of you right now, you're gonna be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be consistent and like next week. you like, I don't know if I can do this. That's seven days. What was Noah like On day 1,000, day 5,000, is it ever gonna rain? Am I ever gonna run out of trees? Is this thing ever gonna be big enough? Was this thing even gonna float? 20,000 days, do not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, crossing family, do not become weary in doing good things because the payoff is worth it. If we wanna have generational impact, we're gonna have to be consistent. The second thing is we're gonna have to be engaged. It's gonna require engagement out of each and every single one of us. We cannot simply sit on the sidelines and watch this happen or expect other people to participate, we must lead out and engage. There are some of you, maybe right now at all of our different locations, maybe even watching online, that are sensing that God may be calling you to participate beyond your own home. That you don't wanna just help your family, but you wanna serve alongside God's family and his redemptive work. There might be some of you that are saying, you know what, I'm ready to be a coach and just invest in kids in the community. I've been amazed at the doors that God's been opening for Jennifer and I when we moved to town. You know, for pastors, it's really easy for us to get surrounded by church folk and uh, forget what it's like to, you know, reach people who don't know Jesus. And so we signed up to be uh, coaches. And I coached baseball last year, and then I coached uh, basketball this winter. And we're coaching baseball again today. And um, my basketball team was horrible, full disclosure. I mean, we, whoa, it was bad. Like half my team didn't know the difference between a sack of potatoes and a basketball game. And it was like, uh, every, like on a regular basis, I'd have to say, we're on defense now, okay? Stop shooting at theirs, okay? It was, it was horrible. Uh, but the crazy thing is, is when you walk in the game, how many times you gotta pray with somebody and I gotta give somebody a hug and I gotta talk to somebody or somebody would invite me over to talk to their friend to invite them to church. Like just in those little moments, that simple act of obedience had profound impact. Recently, uh, the schools had a, a donut day with parents for breakfast. They know how to get dads to show up because they were there uh, in full force. And I mean, I went through the line, I'm like, I just need to bring this up. I have two kids here, and I'm willing to adopt, okay? Um, Like, how many donuts do I get? Do I get one per kid? Um, Anyhow, while I'm there, some of the kids that have been on other teams, like, came up, and I got an opportunity to give them a hug and and high-five and pray for them. Like, you have no idea what God could do in your life with just one small act of obedience, one small engagement. One opportunity where you put yourself out there and allow yourself to be used by God to be a part of shaping and molding and caring for and loving the next generation. I would love across all of our different locations if the communities were going, you know what, these crossing people just show up and they're coaching all the sports because crossing dads and crossing moms love kids and love families. There might be some of you who are going, you know what, I'm ready to serve alongside of our This Gen team and I want to be a part of our this gen team whose uh, difference makers are serving kids at church every single weekend. And you're saying, you know what, I'm ready to be a spiritual father or grandfather or mother or grandmother and, and say, you know what, I'll, I'll be a part of it. I'll be a consistent face on a weekend that someone can come in and learn and be loved and have at least an hour of reprieve from the chaos that surrounds their life. Maybe you would be that. There might be some of you that are going, man, you're low on time and you're uh, low on energy, but, you know, you're amply supplied. And you're going, you know what, I don't want finances to be a a hindrance to any kid who's wanting to go to camp. And you're the kind of person who'd go up and find one of our uh, staff members and say, hey, how much is this week of camp? And you're going, you know what, I'll I'll sponsor one kid or five kids or ten kids. I'll just make it happen because I don't want anybody to not be able to go. I've been praying that there would be 100 people that would join our next gen team over the next couple weeks here at our church that would say, you know, or this gen team who'd say, you know what, I'm in. I wanna serve right alongside of you. Maybe you're the person who's going, you know what, I'm ready to lead a life group and I'm gonna invest in moms and dads and marriages to give them a stronger foundation so that they can create a stronger foundation for the kids. This is what happens if we all leverage our gifts together. This is what it says in Romans chapter 12. For just as each one of you has one body, With many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. For we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. In order to have generational impact, you and I need to take the gifts that God has given us, and I don't have every gift, and you don't have every gift, but if you take the gift that you have and I take the gift that I have and we give them back to Jesus... He's able to create a clear picture of himself to a watching world. When you take your gift and I take my gift and we turn our gift back over to Jesus for his glory, we're able to more accurately be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who need it the most. But it only happens when we engage. The third thing, I mean we're gonna have to be consistent, we're gonna have to be engaged. The third thing is is we're gonna have to sacrifice. You've heard me talk about our core values. And this core value kind of resonates with all of us at like the high end, but on the low end we struggle. Let me show you. Downward, we will gladly give up the things we love for a future generation we love even more. But I think if we could reword it, most of us would say we will begrudgingly give up the things we love for a future generation where, eh, Right? Because this is what sacrifice requires. We'll gladly give it up because we love them even more than the things that we have and the things that we cherish. Uh, It might mean that you have to give up a sermon series that you like for a generation you love even more. It might mean you have to give up hearing a particular communicator because you love a certain generation even more. It might mean uh, you have to give up some of your time. It might mean that, you know, uh, your parking lot won't be as nice as you want it to be. I've traveled around to a lot of different places, and I've kind of noticed that churches that have the best parking lots are sometimes the churches that have the least amount of kids. Because you can only spend your money in so many places, and if you dump it all in the parking lot, there's just not that much left. So, you, you know... You know, tires don't go to heaven, people do. So, you know, now you know why our parking lots aren't that great, okay? You might have to give up a hot weekend uh, in the summer to go and be at camp and invest in this generation. You might have to give up an hour of sleep on a Sunday or a home-cooked meal on a Thursday because you're gonna show up and serve. However, we are choosing to give up the things we love for a future generation we love even more And Jesus never comes into people's lives without somebody sacrificing. It's just how it works. Jesus came to earth through Mary and Joseph. You know what they had to give up? They had to give up their home and their reputation. Jesus came into people's lives because the disciples carried the message. They had to give up their jobs, their home, their livelihood, their dreams, and their comfort. God had to give up his son, and Jesus had to give up his life. Jesus is our supreme example. Look what he says in Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. The Son of Man is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He had to sacrifice. If we want to be a church that has generational impact, we're going to have to be consistent, we're going to have to be engaged, we're going to have to sacrifice. And to kind of wrap this up and put it in context, there's been something that's kind of been bugging me for a while, and it was just, it, it was kind of personal, and then it kind of became organizational, and so I, I kind of put my thoughts down, and I, I've shared it over a couple weeks with the campus pastors, and then this past Tuesday, I had all of our staff come in for an all-staff, and while they were there, I kind of shared this with them, and I want to kind of share it with you, uh, because hopefully it'll help. It'll help you have some terminology to talk about what we're wrestling through as a church, or at least what I'm wrestling through. Uh, These are Clayton's six stages of ownership, okay? Um, In any environment in your life, you're going to go through these six stages, okay? So your boss comes to you and says, hey, we're going to start doing this. You're going to walk all the way through these. Uh, When your wife comes home and says, I want to get a cat, okay, you're going to walk. This is universal, okay? Okay? And uh, so this is what happens. You hear it, you process it, you understand it, you agree with it, you implement it, and then you own it. And everything in your life is kind of following somewhere on this continuum. So uh, this sermon, this sermon series, you hear it, and then you process it, right? Uh, let me give you a, a couple examples. Um, working out, okay, um, you go to your doctor. And they say, hey, man, you're getting a little chunky. <laughs> now you've heard it. Okay. I never liked you anyway, man. <laughs> and you're ugly, you know. I can lose weight, but that's, uh, that's staying, right? So you're, you know, you decide, you come home, and you're processing it. You're, you're talking to your wife. I don't even like that guy, you know. I mean, he, Ugh. she's like, well, I mean, you want to. You want to be around to roll around with the grandkids, and you know, you've always wanted to have washboard abs. This is all hypothetical. Um, <laughs> right? And then you're kind of like, I do, I do want to, you know, when we have grandkids, I want to be the cool grandpa. I want to be limber. You know, I don't want to hurt myself putting my shoes on. I get it. I got to change the way, I mean, you know what? I think that doctor was right. A little diet and a little exercise probably go a long way. I was driving around a guy for a job interview, and he did an exercise plan called 75 Hard. Had to drink a whole bunch of water, read a book, do a, stu, two workouts a day, and then he just quit. And he lost like 30 pounds, and then he was, you know, starting to gain it back. And he says, my problem is that I don't know how, uh, how to lose weight. I know exactly how to lose weight. The problem is doing it. So many of us agree with it but don't ever implement it. Let me give you another one, let me give you a fun one. Uh, I did the sermon on technology. I have never in my life received more positive feedback from a sermon. Oh yeah, Clayton, oh, after church, that was so good. Well, when you, when you were saying it, my ears were just being massaged by the Holy Spirit. I heard it. Ah! And I was sitting there processing that and I was like, my kids and my grandkids are always on their phone. And I was like, that's not good. But your sermon was, I processed it. And I understand exactly what you're getting at. That if we keep this up, it's going to cause all kinds of problems. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that night. Right? Yeah, yeah. Don't look at your screen time. Don't come at me. Right? How many things in our lives stop at agreement? and we never get around to implementation. The difference between these two things right here, I think that's implement, yeah, I mean, you know what the Bible says the difference between these two? Wisdom and foolishness. Jesus is the one who says, don't just simply be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. He who hears the word, these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. But the foolish man heard it, processed it, understood it, agreed with it, and built his house on the sand. And the rains came and beat against that house, and it fell because it had no foundation. How many of us have heard, invest in your family, Take invest in your spouse? Oh, yeah, my marriage is actually probably going to be better if we spent time with each other. And you go, yeah, I actually, every time I've ever made this investment, things have got better. I wholeheartedly agree that we should. I think I'm going to watch the game today. Here's what I need. If we want to be a generational church, we have got to, at the very least, move past agreement. We have to at least take a step in the area of implementation. And you could implement it for a variety of reasons. There might be two, maybe even three of you who would go, yeah, I'll do it because Clayton and Jerry said so. You'd be just like, yeah, we love them, trust them, we're on board, all three of us. There might be others of you who are going, you know what, I love Jesus in light of everything that he's done on my behalf. I'll do it because, you know, Jesus deserves it. And you might do it because your wife is just nagging at you. You might comply because your kids just keep begging you. Moment of transparency. I honestly thought the technology thing was not that big of a deal in my home. But when I started using the phrase, no technology night, my boys latched onto it and on a regular basis when I pick them up, my boys will say, can tonight be a no technology night? Hear that? Could you implement it? For whatever reason, would you just start living out these principles from this sermon series better? because I believe that you and this world will be better for it. But what I'm really hoping for is not people who implement it out of obligation. I'm looking for God to raise up a church. A people that look like you and me who own it. And you might be going, Clayton, what do you mean by own it? A person who owns it, like a man who owns it, a man who's at one of our locations or watching online right now, a person who owns it, a man who owns it would say, I recognize that I'm a man of God. I'm a father, grandfather, uncle, son, and brother, and I have been put into the lives of my family and friends and neighbors to be a force for good. A a, a woman at one of our locations or watching online who owns it would say, I'm a woman of God. I'm a mother, grandmother, aunt, daughter, sister, and I have gifts and abilities that have been placed inside of me for his purpose and for his glory. A person who says, I'm going to own it, would say, I recognize that there are those who do not have a strong family tree to support them, and I gladly give of my time and my talents and my resources so that other people can be cared for, loved, and pointed to Jesus. I'm praying and hoping that there are people all across this region who are saying, I'm ready to own it. And a person who owns it would say, I acknowledge that the minds of the young children in my life are being shaped and molded. And so I choose to engage in the process to help them develop lifelong patterns that lead to godliness, family success, and spiritual flourishing. A person who owns it would say, I choose God over sleeping in. I choose my family over my device. I prioritize worship, and I direct my gaze towards heavenly promises. I do not take my spouse for granted, and I choose to invest in our relationship. A person who owns it would say, I'm gonna spend time in God's word so that I am fully filled up So that way when God wants to pour me out anytime he wants to, I am amply supplied. A person who owns it would say, I face the challenges of today with the confidence that God has all the wisdom that I need. I am a generational change agent. A person who owns it would say the generational sins that have been passed on to me will not flow through me. They stop with me. They stop Here, they stop now. A person who owns it says the generational sins will not touch my children. They will not visit my grandchildren. A person who owns it says my family is better and they're getting better because I am taking spiritual, responsibility. A person who owns, it says, I recognize that the church is only going to get 17 days with my kid from the time that they're in kindergarten until the time that they graduate. So I recognize that I am the pastor of my home. I am the pastor of my workplace. I am the pastor of my friends and my neighborhood and my block. I am a spiritual influencer, that wherever I go, the spirit goes with me and the spirit has power. I'm a person who owns it. My example will have an impact and my investment will reap a return. I'm a person who brings about generational impact. And I'm wondering if there's anybody at any of our locations who want to join me in that mission. We're moving to a time of decision. <clears throat> There are some of you in here right now who you've been coming here for a long time and you're trying to think through your relationship with Jesus Christ and you've never really started one. You've seen lots of other people start one but for some reason it's never been you. And I get it. You have questions, you have doubts. And you've, if you were to kind of go through those six stages, You've heard about it, you've heard about Jesus, you've processed it and you're like, yeah, I need Jesus. You understand it, like, you kinda know what's supposed to happen because you've seen everybody else around you do it. You even agree that your life would be better if you had a relationship with Jesus. But for some reason or another, you still think you gotta fix you first. And that is one of the most deceptive lies that Satan has ever spread. I had friends visiting from out of town, and he was getting ready to be a senior pastor in a church in Ohio, and uh, we were on the phone, and we were, they were trying to place an offer on a house. And you're placing the offer, and then, you know, you have to get the home inspection. Right? And if you're incompetent, like you're praying to God that you get a great home inspector who finds all the things that need fixed. And some of you, you thought about selling your house because the market's been looking great. And you're going. We got to get all this stuff fixed first, otherwise nobody will buy it. But when it comes to Jesus, he's an as-is buyer. You want to know why? He's not worried about the punch list of all the things that need to get fixed in your house because uh, Jesus was a. Oh, he was a carpenter. His hands are used to fixing things. His mind is attuned to see the problems and knows exactly how to fix it and has all the tools in his tool belt to do the job that needs done. He's an as-is buyer. And so you're going around trying to hammer and trim with a fork. Going well, As soon as I get this fixed, then Jesus can buy it. But I need you to hear me say this. If you could fix you, he wouldn't have come. If you could fix you, you wouldn't have needed a savior. If he could fix you, he wouldn't have died on the cross. He came to take you as is. And then when he puts his hands on your life, on your spiritual house, man, he you know what God can do when he gets a hold of somebody. I don't have to tell you. You've heard plenty of stories. The question is, when are you gonna let him put his hands on On you. And I know in the back of your mind, it's just, it's common courtesy. You just want to fix it up before you turn it over. But that's not how it works with Jesus. Because he has plans that you can't comprehend that he wants to do in your life. And the things you're trying to do are the things that he's probably going to have to undo and do right. You're trying to lay you know, hardwoods over the top of your carpet. It's like, that ain't, stop, please. You can't do this. And if there's anybody in here, for a while you've just been going, I feel like I'm supposed to, but I just not yet because I just haven't figured. Would you be willing to just talk to somebody today in just a few moments? There's gonna be people over there by the baptism that would love an opportunity to talk with you about what it means to start that relationship with Jesus the voice in your head that's telling you to put it off is not his. I don't know whose it is but it's not his because his says come. Come now. To the rest of you in the room who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet or already have a relationship with Jesus, forgive me. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask all of you and you're going, Clayton, me? Yeah, if you've got black socks on, white socks on, brown socks on, green socks on, no socks on, you, some of you are checking, okay? You. I want you to spend some time during these next two songs. Whether you come up here to the steps and get down on your knees, whether you, you get on your knees where you're at, maybe you go over by the bathroom, and you put your hands in the water, wherever you need to do it at. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If we're gonna be a church that wants to have generational impact, we're gonna have to pray for it. We're gonna have to beg God to help us with it. And so would you just pray over your kids by name? Would you pray over your grandkids by name? Would you pray over the kids that are in your class who you know are going through it hard? Would you pray for them by name? Would you pray for the people you want to invite to Easter by name? Would you pray over the people that you work with that you can't wait until they finally find an intimate personal relationship with Jesus? Would you pray for them by name? And then when you get done praying for the people in your life by name, would you pray that God would reveal to you what he wants you to do? to own it. I wonder what God could do with a church like that. I'd sure like to find out. I think you do too. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to use this moment right now to connect with every person in the room. Whether they're a long way from you or they've been following you their whole life, God, I'm begging that this moment right here would begin generational change. That the only way that we could describe what is starting to happen across our campuses is that you are moving and that we are responding. That God, that we would have the courage to step out in faith to become a church that's gonna have generational impact. In your name I pray, amen.